If you continue to blame the past for your present and your future, you're never gonna get anywhere. You gotta turn and just look at the future, pick a thing, and in spite of whatever you think happened to you, whatever you think has gone wrong, look at the future and go, that's where I'm going. Yeah, but what about the past? Past is over, doesn't matter, can't fix it, can't change it, that's where I'm going. That's how I kind of try to live. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. My guest today is Christopher Titus, who is quite simply one of the best and funniest comics working today. In addition to having 10, count them, 10 stand-up comedy specials to his name, he is also an actor, a writer, a director, and he's the producer of a TV series, feature films, and he right now produces his own daily podcast, which features his infamous Armageddon updates. Now, though his list of credits and accomplishments may not show it, Christopher Titus has every reason to be considered a failure. He was raised in what he calls total chaos by a mentally ill genius who was his bipolar and schizophrenic mom and an alcoholic, hardworking badass who was his dad. He was a DF student. He ran away from home at age 12, and he was on a first name basis with the sheriff. Now, despite the numerous hardships in his earlier years, Titus has taken what most would use as excuses and flipped them around to become his superpowers. In short, Titus has built an incredibly successful career on his failures. This conversation is a deep dive into what it took for Titus to get where he is today and succeed in Hollywood. And after throwing him on the hot seat, he also makes it public what the next step in his career will be and, by the way, when it will happen. If you are familiar at all with Titus, it is probably no surprise that he holds nothing back in this conversation. So if you struggle to succeed due to the voices in your head or a dark past that overshadows your present, this episode is going to help flip your mindset and give you a whole new perspective on how you can approach your career and your life. 
All right, without further ado, my conversation with actor, director, writer, producer, and stand-up comedian Christopher Titus. To access the show notes for this episode with all the bonus links and resources discussed, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 181. What, Zach, what exactly does your podcast do? Yes. So what my podcast does, uh, the Optimize Yourself podcast is specifically for creative professionals, most of whom are in the entertainment business like us. Um, but because I'm an editor by default, probably 70% of my audience is people in post. But essentially, right. I believe, my firm belief is that, that every single person out there has potential that they have not realized. And it's my job to help them realize that potential and design the path towards a more fulfilling career in life. However, the caveat is, they can't do it by sacrificing their health, their relationships, or their sanity in the process. And as you know all too well, Hollywood does its best to take all three from everybody along the way. It's so actually designed I, that way. It's it is. Designed it is that way. It's, it's not a flaw. It's a feature, right? I've talked about that. Like, why, why is it like this? Can't they figure it out? I'm like, it's not a flaw. That's the problem, right? So if you're because waiting for the industry. Run, here's why. Because they can't run the people that they need if everybody has happiness and wholeness, they can't run it. They need you to be uh, insecure. They need you to be messed up in some way. They need you to need them for something. Because the reality is, and this is every meeting I've ever been in, the people that seem to be the gatekeepers, not all of them. I've met, I've met three, three, that I, three or four that I really thought were creative. But most of the gatekeepers... Um, don't have any background in being creative, don't have any background in actually the talent it takes to actually be in front of the camera or to run a camera or to edit like you do. There's an artistic need and those people don't have it. And, and what I, and this is, you know, I've been in show business 40 years. What I feel is there is a certain group of them that almost are angry that they don't have it. It's the Salieri Mozart thing where they're just kind of pissed that they can see it, they're near it, but they can't do it and it pisses them off. Um, and you know, that may, that's just my excuse for my failing career. <laughs> well, so <laughs> now that we've warmed up the microphone, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to officially get started. And I have a feeling we will go a lot deeper than that. Uh, but for the sake of anybody, and it's going to be a very small few, but for the sake of anybody that doesn't know, I'm here today with Christopher Titus, and if you are a fan of comedy, specifically stand-up, you probably require no introduction, but I'm going to do one anyways. So you, sir, are a stand-up comedian, an actor, a writer, a podcaster, an executive producer, a director. You run your own production company. You have a huge following YouTube, but you are also an expert on bonfires and what to do if you have fallen into one. Yeah. And most importantly, as we will discuss at length during today's conversation and using your own interpretations, you, sir, are a tremendous failure. So on that note, yeah. Mr. Titus, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you very much, man. Uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on, Zach. We've been friends for a while. Uh, uh, we, on our, our Sundays, we have... We have seen each other at the ragged edge of our abilities constantly, and uh, so it's good to be on with a friend. Yes, and one of my favorite keepsakes of all time, and you may not even remember this. You remember the event, but you probably don't know this part. A couple of years ago, it was before the pandemic. Um, you've been fairly well known during the Sunday uh, Tony uh, Horton Ninja Group to uh, have a rip or two on your hands. And you had one where I think you had like eight, and you had this picture where you were like this. That picture was taken with my camera. 
So in my camera roll, just randomly, you're going through, here are my kids, and here's this thing. I have a picture of Titus going like this with eight rips on his hands. One of my favorite photos. With my hamburger hands. I always say, uh-huh. I, how many times have I said that at Tony's? If there's ever if there's ever a murder at Tony Horton's house, they're going to find my DNA everywhere. They're going to be like, Titus is either dead or he killed these people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah. one of the things, there are a lot of things that I love about Sundays, but I'm sure you can attest to this, is that it doesn't take long for you to get a sense of somebody's character because man those workouts are hard and there's adversity and you really see like you said not only people at the ragged edge but facing down fears and you get to see pretty quickly what somebody made of that's true, man. And it's also it, 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 on so many different ways, not just the, the exertion, uh, exertion part of it where you're trying to do stuff you've never done. I always just see it as a challenge. It's you see who people are when they fail, which is interesting to watch to me. Like you and I, I remember the, the first time because uh, I'm always kind of, I'm kind of on the lower end compared to some of the badasses that are there. And I and I'm fine with that because uh, I don't you know, you guys are and And I remember when we first started, everybody kind of moves up. And I got really quick over the fact that I was at the lower end of performance. And I've just started. And what happens is after a couple weekends of Tony's, you get to this place where you're like, all right, I don't need to worry about what those guys are doing. I need to worry about what I need to do. So I've been working on everything and it's getting better every time. And I saw you do that early where you didn't really give a about what anybody else did. And, and, and then there's people that fail and all of a sudden they're just screaming at themselves. Like they're all like, an idiot, can't believe I did that. And they're mad. And you just want to go, uh, no one really cares that you're mad at you. The only person upset here is you. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's, and the people that are funny and, and what I love about the group and more than anything is how supportive it is. It, it's good to go out on Sundays to do something as hard as those workouts are and to have a bunch of supportive people behind you. And it's interesting how fast the unsupportive get edited out, isn't it? Oh yeah, not only that, but the other thing you learn very quickly, not just about people that are facing the fear or the adversity, having gone for a while now, we see a lot of people that come once. You don't see a lot of people that come twice. Because the first time you're like, I don't know what this is, but I can say I got to work out at Tony Horton's house. And then they show up and they think, what have I gotten myself into? They wake up the Monday morning after, never again. It's the people that show up a second time. That says something. Yeah, but there's some stuff that like, like, so a few people that don't know, I'm sure you've talked about it, but there's, Tony has this list that we, that we show up to. And I've kind of avoided now when I show up to go look at the list. I do what I force myself to, but it's a list of exercises. It's usually between 14 and 16 or 14 and 18. And, and at one point you just look at the list and, and there's no good news on the list ever. There's never an exercise where you're like, oh, we're going to do, wait, what are we doing? These are sit down uh, finger uh, flexes. These are going to be easy. It's always some horror and it's just horror show after horror show. And, 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 <laughs> and the people I keep showing up because I want to finally get some of them I can't do. I found myself one day recently, uh, two times ago. Tony's got this 20 foot pull-up bar and you have to climb a rope to it. And I'm at the 20 foot top doing pull-ups after I've climbed the rope. And it's all this extra that he makes you do. Cause you have to, you have to do an internal kind of assessment. Like, okay, if I do too many pull-ups, I am going to drop 20 feet cause I can't get down this rope. So it's all the mental, I, I love it. And the, and, and I, people that are scared. I mean, the, 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 uh, a rope, a uh, beam, post holy crap the stuff that we have to do you find yourself hanging 17 18 feet in the air 
and then you've got to transfer to another thing. And all, all I'll say is it's like martial arts. I trained martial arts a long time. It's like martial arts. You get to this place where the fear goes away and it just becomes about technique. And I think that's what that's that's what I love about it. And the people that continue to show up inspire me. You're one of the dudes that inspires me. You, Wes, there's the guys that show up that I'm like, all right, I can maybe be with that those guys one day if I just stop drinking red wine. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, so speaking of the Sunday group, I wanted to start there because obviously that's how we met and how we got to know each other. And there's a part of the story that you don't know that uh, I'm hoping you're going to enjoy. But when you first showed up to the, the workout, the first time that we had met, my response was, I think I know that guy. I I think he's a comedian. I recognize him. So I, I wasn't a fan of you at that time. So I knew of you. And I'm like, I think maybe he's got a show or so. Whatever. So I wasn't that familiar with you. But Wes was talking all about you. I'm like, all right, so I'll, I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch a couple of clips. And I don't know if this is by design, if this is the YouTube algorithm, if you wanted it to work this way, but I did a quick search. And the very first thing I came across was a five-minute clip of one of your stand-up routines where you were talking all about retarded people. <laughs> and my first reaction was, oh, man, Not he's one guy. of those guys, right? Like, what an asshole. And you may know some of this, you may not know some of this, but the world of disabilities and special needs and people with all kinds of various physical or mental disabilities, huge part of my world my entire life. Made a documentary film for eight years about the first quadriplegic to become a scuba diver. Um, I've wow. got uh, you know, other friends of mine that have uh, some mental disabilities. My father specializes. How come I don't know this? We've been friends for a couple of years. How, how come I don't know this? Because we're too busy destroying ourselves oh. during this workout to have really in-depth <laughs> conversations. Uh, but I'm my, bleeding. I'm yeah. bleeding. <laughs> so my, my father has spent his entire life dedicated to teaching kids with learning disabilities and all these other things. My wife, the reason she became a teacher is because she wanted to help kids in special ed. So I was, I just had like this immediate reaction, like, man, I wanted to like this guy. And here he is talking about retarded people. And in five minutes, I don't know how you did it, but I became one of your biggest fans because you are so smart in how you can take something like the word retarded. And for anybody that's offended by this right now, I understand why you are. Watch the five minute clip. We're going to link to it. You're going to see why I'm not. But the way that you turned the definition of that word around was not only smart psychologically, but it was hilarious. And watching it the fourth or fifth time at preparing for this uh, interview, still in tears. It was so good. And you apply that psychology to everything where I take something that should be offensive, like you should have been canceled 10 times by now. <laughs> but you take yeah. something like you can make Trump voters laugh at Trump jokes. You can make Biden voters laugh at Biden jokes. You can make people that care a lot about others with special needs laugh their asses off at the word retarded. That's not by accident. Yeah, the bit you're talking about is called the word retard. And I have a lot of friends, you know, my world is a lot of people with disabilities. One of my nieces has a really rare, uh, on the rare disorder on the autism spectrum, really rare. She's, and then, and Julie, and we grew up with her and, 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 and then I have Michael Arona, who's a friend of mine. He's a comic who has got CP and he's so funny. And so we, and the weird thing is the further, you know, the more, you know, about a hangout with and be around people with disabilities, you realize how bad the world really messes with them. And it's constant, it's constant. It's uh, and, and I think a lot of the world does it unconsciously, but a lot of it doesn't. Some of it's real brutal. And so I would hear stories from Mike and I would see it happen. We'd be out somewhere and something would happen. And, uh, so, and the word retard kept coming up, kept coming up. And I, 
I, I was, and then I watched these idiots, these these gr- capable people, like who had no disability whatsoever, and yet they're living, you know, they're, they're addicted to drugs or they're beating their wives or they they can't seem to hold a job, and I'm like. And then I'm watching these guys with disabilities uh, supposedly can't handle it, becoming lawyers, running their own businesses. Mike's a, Mike's an actor, comedian. He speaks. He travels all over the world speaking. And I'm like, well, uh, these these uh, these able body people seem to be more retarded. So I break down the definition. And I change the definition. And I've had so many parents of kids with disabilities. Uh, just, you know, write me and they start out exactly like you do. When I saw this bit, I was so furious. The title is the title is called the word retard. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, and then they would say, but I watched it and my, my, we were laughing and then I brought my son in to watch it and he was clapping. You've changed the definition of what this word means for me. You gave the word power as opposed to you'd make it a, something that kills people. So yeah, man, I mean, the best comics in the world, I, I, Carlin and Lenny, Lenny Bruce would flip stuff. I, I, and that's your job. Robin Williams, there's the, the, the guys that I love would take something and, and Carlin was a wordsmith and he would take it and go, let's analyze the word. And next you know you're like oh shit, i never thought of it like that so thank you it's a high compliment that you said that because that's what i tried to do with the bit that's exactly what i tried to do and the interesting thing too is that like i said again when i first started uh watching it very offended like oh god where is this going but it wasn't just a matter of you turn the word it was the way that you performed it i could tell it wasn't just well written i could tell you genuinely felt it yeah. and it actually choked me up because it wasn't just a matter of here's a comic using this word to get laughs it's here's a comic and a person a human being that genuinely wants to protect and champion people with disabilities and like you said you know it's it's the white trash beaten as well life, there's the retard, right? Like just yeah, yeah. The, the way that it, but it actually choked me up. I'm like, okay, I'm instantly a fan of this guy. And from there I went down the rabbit hole and watched hours and hours. And then we finally <laughs> scheduled this, um, this interview. I've w- rewatched all the same stuff in a different order, which we're going to get to how that was actually really interesting this time. Um, but I just, I wanted to start there because, um, I want to make sure that people go to that link and see that. Cause I think that of all the things you've done, it's one of the best encapsulations of who you are. Oh, that's nice. Well, we did a movie. Uh, I always wanted to, Michael was always, Michael wrote an actor comic, always wanted to get his shot. He wanted his shot and deserved it. And I, and I, I had this idea one day I just called him. I, I said, uh, I said, handicapped police officer. And, and he goes, what? And I go, I just had this idea pop in my head. So I wrote a pilot for Comedy Central that we filmed that Brian Cranston directed that didn't get picked up uh, called Special Unit. And then it was just something that was burning in my head. So then I wrote a full length movie script a couple years later and it took a lot of years to get it done. But if you go to Amazon Prime, there is a movie I wrote and directed called Special Unit where we use 16 di- disabled, disabled, I hate that word. I don't even know how to, what, what, what's the new word, but some of the, the uh, actors with disabilities uh, in the movie. And it's basically, they're the heroes of the movie. And I'm the worst human. I tried to play every dickhead who makes fun of disabled people and and let them and and they and they run it they take on the bad guy they stop a, by the way i wrote a comedy where there's a school shooting in it that's what <laughs> well that's another thing people should put on their list because i watched that as well and it's got at least three or four moments like literally on the floor laughing kind of comedy Thanks, so man. Um, Thanks, but man. Again, but again it was it was done with all the heart in the world which makes it work because we know, we know you're doing it for the benefit Right. As opposed to at the expense of there's a big well, difference you know, between stupid, those two. I learned. Dumb people. It's the thing I did with this new bit that's this in the new special about white supremacy. 
there's there's a way to lead. Sometimes you can lead people that that don't agree with you into a room where they think they agree with you. I, I did it with Arm the Children too, where all of a sudden they realize, oh. He just flipped the entire thing on me, and I've been wrong. And it's and and, it, and half of those people get pissed off too. So, but you know, I'm still here. Everything's working out. <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to start with the uh, the word disability, so to speak, right, um, is that this is one of the things that I talked about uh, in my documentary film, and was really the subject of it. And the takeaway was that everybody has a disability. Right. And if we focus on our disabilities, we're just going to wallow in whatever is keeping us down. We're going to make excuses as opposed to let's focus on what we are capable of and focus on our abilities. Right. And one of the things that I think many could say about you, yourself included, is that you didn't have the ideal childhood. <laughs> Anybody that watches any of your specials knows a lot about your upbringing, especially if they've watched your uh, your yeah. sitcom as well. And yeah. many would see that as a disability, right? So the word disabilities, we think of it, it's a guy in a wheelchair, right? There or a girl go. in a like wheelchair. And like it, it, goes, it goes far beyond that, but we all have disabilities in certain contexts, right? If somebody's True. five feet tall – in the context of becoming a player in the NBA, their height is a disability. If they want to be an acrobat or an American Ninja Warrior, now it's their superpower. So it's for me, disability is all about context. And in the context of being successful and educated and well-rounded, I would call your upbringing a bit of a disability. Yeah, all so of let's, those, yes. For, for anybody that hasn't watched Norman Rockwell is Bleeding or the many, many, many hours of the retelling of your childhood, what's the <laughs> five-minute version, just so people get a sense of where it is that you originally came from? Uh, my mom, uh, okay, I was my, my parents were uh, a, a mentally ill genius and uh was my mom and then another alcoholic hard-working badass that was my dad and they and when i say badass i mean it in good and bad ways uh i was raised in a kind of just total chaos that's why the world doesn't bother me that much i i i'll get mad at certain things but i I don't i don't respond to it with panic or curling up in a fetal position, I stand up and I'm ready to fight back because that's how I was raised. So mom was mentally ill. Mom, I had a 185 IQ, spoke four languages, played concert piano, uh, and was crazy as a shithouse rat. She actually shot and killed her third husband. Um, she, <laughs> she she showed up to my high school graduation in a, a long, in an army jacket uh, white vinyl go-go boots, uh, and that was it. Uh, so <laughs> I've lived a weird life. My dad drank, started drinking at beer o'clock. Noon is beer o'clock. Uh, I was driving him home from the this place called the Pizza Shack when I was, you know, nine, ten years old because he'd been drinking too much, which is weird. Was well, such a such a weird integrity in my father. He would drink so much he couldn't drive, but he had taught me to drive so early. He's like, I'm gonna let you drive home. You're not licensed. But I'm pretty hammered, and you're nine, but you can handle it better than I can. So <laughs> he had an odd, uh, an odd integrity. He had an odd. It was it was it's it was such a um, delusional integrity. But but my dad had this weird kind of integrity. So I was raised by those people. Divorce was bad. Ran away when I was twelve, um, and lived with my mom. And everything my dad had been talking about my whole life about her. Um, cause like there was things like I was left with, I was left with relatives, my sister on my mom's side, 
Um, my mom dropped off her friends one time and just disappeared for like three weeks. And they found her uh, in a doorway in San Francisco. Uh, she she it covered it covered her own menstrual blood. And that's what that's the phone call we got when I was like, and I'm a teenager at that point. And it was just things got out of hand all the time. And I'm so used to that now. So when when I lived with her, we got evicted three times. At one point, I got you know the sheriff would be like, hey man, uh, so you gotta you gotta move out. I'm like, oh, how's it going, Doug? You know, I'm saying a 12 year old shouldn't know the sheriff. Is what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, and then and then I would correct the form. This form isn't exactly right. Could you fill this out again? So you shouldn't know that at 12. So my my upbringing was chaotic. I was a DF student, and uh, and then one day I was I remember being five years old. I went to sleep listening to Bill Cosby, and I decided to be a comedian when I was five. And then kind of after that, I, nothing else really mattered. You know, I lived my life and telling people at five, you're going to be a comedian. is like telling them you're going to be an astronaut or a cowboy. They don't care. They're I'm not like, sure yeah, that yeah. that's actually even as good as that. That's it. That seems <laughs> yeah, yeah, even yeah, exactly. like, cause if you do become an astronaut, well then that's amazing. If you do become a comedian, is that still a good thing? Like, I don't know. Yeah, right. They, they have to make up uh, at, at family gatherings. They have to make up another job that you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, anyway, so my, my, my parental upbringing was pretty, uh, I mean, I listen, man, I, this is, I, this is there here. This is when I start to get into a gray area. People tell me, Oh, I feel so bad. You were raised like that. But if you look what I did with it, there's, I couldn't be where I am without being raised by that. So I, I, uh, when people have have sympathy or they're like, oh my God, that what a horrible upbringing. It was just my upbringing. I think, I think there's so many things in life that I didn't, I didn't get here in spite of, I got here because of it, because now I know, because like comedy, 2% of people make it in show business, 2%. And I've been in it for 40 years. Uh, and whether, you know, I'm not, I'm not Dave Chappelle famous, not Dave Chappelle rich, but I make a good living doing what I love. And without the chaotic, insanity of my life, I don't think I could handle the chaotic insanity of show business. Uh, so I never, I, I, it was just my life. I, so many people take their lives and they, they keep looking backwards at, at it. Like, oh my God, look how I was raised. This is why I do that now. Well, if you know that, why are you still doing that? If you know that you're, if you, if you continue to blame the past for your present and your future, you're never going to get anywhere. You got to turn and just look at the future, pick a thing. And in spite of whatever you think happened to you, whatever you think has gone wrong, look at the future and go, that's where I'm going. Yeah, but what about the past? Past is over. Doesn't matter. Can't fix it. Can't change it. That's where I'm going. That's how I kind of try to live. And that is the thing that I appreciate about you and other people is that there's a moment where there's a choice. And the vast majority of people, whether you were raised by an alcoholic or there was abuse or whatever it might be, they repeat the cycle. The yep. obvious option is they're going to repeat the cycle. If somebody beats their kids, that person that was the kid is probably going to beat their kids, is going to beat their kids, is going to beat their kids. But then there's somebody that says, nope, I'm going to consciously make the choice that I'm going to break the cycle and I'm going to focus on what I can do going forward. And so few people do that. And as soon as I started listening to your stand-up specials, that's what stuck out. You had the choice to just say, I was a DF student. Like, look at the hands that I was dealt. Like, can you blame me for being a giant, massive failure? And instead you decided, <laughs> right, exactly. you know what, I'm... I am going to continue to be a massive failure, but at a very, very high level. And just for a point of <laughs> reference, for anybody that's like, why do you keep calling him a failure? Watch his stand-up. You'll know what I'm talking about. You have an entire special dedicated to one failure after another, to yep. another, after another, and it's brilliant. Yeah, um, but it's the, it's the fact the that – fail. The church exactly. of the fail, yeah. 
And it's just one thing after another. And just when you think it can't get any crazier. Oh, no. But wait, <laughs> there's more. And then at the end, it flips to uh, uh, like one of the one of our American superheroes basically takes it all away in one sense. It's a, it's a, I, that's a good special. All true, by the way, that la- that Bruce who story happened. I still I still get chills when I think about it. Yeah, so the that's one of the things that I really appreciate is when people make that choice and decide, you know what, despite what I've been handed, I'm going to find a way to make the best of it and focus on my abilities, again, instead of my disabilities. You have to be careful, too, because I made a choice. My dad got divorced uh, five, six times, and um, and he got divorced so many times. I used to say he had a marriage license gold card is one of the jokes, <laughs> my early jokes I wrote. And he... So I made a decision as a kid that I'm not going to get divorced. I'm going to work on it, make sure it's right. And because I made that choice, I stayed with the wrong person for way too long. So you kind of have to, it's, it's, it's a balance. You have to figure out what the, what the best thing for you is. Uh, cause I, cause no matter what she did, I was like, Nope, I'm not getting divorced. Cause my dad did that. So you have to be careful not to make choices, not, not to make po- what you think are positive choices also based on your past, because they may not be positive choices. You just got to turn towards the future and keep going, you know, try to try to make the right choice for you. But it's weird when people use that as an excuse. I was just thinking when you were saying it, uh, the guy who be- got beaten as a kid beats his kids, beats his kids. And I, and on my son, I actually was, I acted like my dad. After the divorce, I kind of acted like my dad towards my son a little bit. And we had a long talk about that. Actually, we've had a couple, but even yesterday I talked about it. And I kind of tried to explain to him. I said, you know, man, I thought that was the way you get here and, and it didn't make a difference. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, dude, I don't know, man. We're an absurd bag of blood, hair, bone, just walking through the planet trying to figure it out. And as I said in my new special, no one's going to remember us anyway. So why aren't you just doing the best for you while you're here and the best for the people around you? You know, I, I don't know. And not only are you a bag of bones, you're a bag of somebody else's bones in your jaw (laughs) if anybody watches your latest special. Yeah, well, the latest special, uh, (laughs) we actually, uh, I got some people, uh, there's that that white supremacy bit, some people are, uh, most everybody, the the overwhelming response, 98% is like, dude, this is great. It's amazing how a bit about proving, disproving white supremacy brings out the inner KKK in so many people, dude. Some of the stuff I'm getting on the on the comments, because it blew up. It's, it's it got so many views, but uh, it's amazing what people, you see, or you're like, do yourself hating. You're, you're hating yourself. N- n- no, I hate you, racist. I don't hate me. I think I'm <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, man, I, listen, if you, I, I was lucky enough, whatever you do, and you do the same with you, with what you're doing right now with this podcast, you know, you are trying to make a difference. We only get a little time here. So you can be crazy. You can do whatever, but, but whatever you do well, there's a bonus. If you try to do something good with it, I don't know. You know, I, I try in my shows to always give people what I loved about George Carlin was that he, how brilliant he was. He's a wordsmith, the stuff, the guy was literally, I, I still watch some of his bits and I'm like, well, thanks for mining that subject. Cause no one else is ever going to be able to write a joke about that because you went to every corner and, and just mind it. But he never, there's a lot of times he left us with a, um, a crotchetiness, a, 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 a no hope. There's no, there was no solution. It was just, this is how it is. And so I always try my comedy, try, I'll drag you through that part, but then I want to go, okay, Hey, 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 it could get better. 
hey, try this. Maybe this is going to work. I try to give people a little, I try to bring a little light to the situation. <laughs> uh, which is another reason that I absolutely love all of it is that despite it being a lot, let's say a lot of doom and gloom, uh, all, <laughs> yeah, sudden, all somebody road, has yeah. to do is go on YouTube and read the show special names. That's it. Right. And we've got Amerigan fifth annual end of the world tour. Love is evil with a spelling error, by the way. I don't know if anybody's pointing. No, that out. it's backwards. It's love backwards. Oh, is that what L-O-V-E, it is? L-O-V-E-E-V-O-L. Oh. How about that? Love is evil. Yeah. So what's what's interesting about all of your specials, at least for me, is that the first time I watched it, I'm very much a completionist. I'm very OCD that way. If somebody introduces something to me, oh, I got to start from the beginning and I must watch them all in order because that's the way the creator intended it. Right. (laughs) This time I was like, I've already seen everything and I just gone to your latest special. I'm like, you know what? Let me just go backwards. Let me just say that having gone backwards and watching Norman Rockwell is bleeding plays so differently because you're talking all about your first wife and your marriage and the chaos hadn't happened yet. That's and then you watch that before you watch the Titus show. And I know it's just called uh, Titus, but like the Titus show itself, right. The, right. the sitcom, it's really interesting to see it backwards and see the de-evolution in a different <laughs> order. Yes. I, I slowly turn into a zygote, an intellectual zygote where I, I don't know anything. I'm flailing a lot more. That's interesting. So I, I Benjamin buttoned you basically <laughs> is what happened. The other interesting thing that I noticed, which is going to really be a, a nice segue or transition as they call it in the industry to the, the next subject is that if you were to watch pretty much anybody over the course of a 20, 30, 40 year career, you're going to see a huge evolution. You're going to see their earlier stuff and going to be like, uh, yeah, they were kind of still trying to figure it out. They hadn't found their voice or whatever. You go to your first special, you watch that with your last special that I just saw two weeks ago. There's no difference. Like so I've gotten you better. Are, I've not gotten better at all is what you're saying. No, you suck equally as much between <laughs> special one and special 10. Because I'm, I'm like, like Tony's on Sunday. Yeah. Like when is this guy ever going to get better at his craft? Right. <laughs> but obviously it was the opposite. But one of the things that I admire about you is number one, your output and your consistency, but the fact that it's always consistently at a high quality. And again, that doesn't happen by accident. We've talked about process a little bit on Sundays before, but I want to know how is it that you are so consistently working at a high level and have done so for essentially 40 years? It's weird because it wasn't always like that. When I started comedy, my entire thing was to be Bill Cosby, who was one of my heroes until he became super rapey. Um, so I, I, I wrote stories. I, I have old video. We're going to put it up. Actually, we're going to we're going to kind of cut together a compilation of how horrible I was when I started, but it was all energy and there was no substance. And I started to hate myself about, I was 12 years in, I was headlining clubs and, you know, local and B clubs and stuff. And, and I was making more money than my dad made, which wasn't a whole lot my, but, but I was doing okay. And I started to really hate myself. And here's why I started to hate myself. I started to hate myself because I realized what I was doing on stage had no value to it. It was just, now laughter's value. People say, oh, you're making people laugh. It's value. Yeah, but I was doing it with tricks and, and devices and I wasn't, there was no, there was no uh, Carlin insight. There was no Robin Williams insight. There was no, you know, there was nothing in it that people could take away. And I saw Lily Tomlin uh, do Signs of Intelligent Life years and years ago when she was first working on it. It's this special, it's this one person show where she plays like 10 characters in it. But holy crap, man, my manager at the time made me go watch it. And I watched it and I was like, I don't know, maybe 20, 21 at the time. And it was in San Francisco at the, at the Great American Music Hall and I watched it. 
And at one point, Lily Tomlin is doing four characters at one time, having a conversation, a very funny conversation. And she was so good at it that I saw every character as she was switching characters. And then being a performer, I realized, holy she's doing four people at one time having a conversation. And I didn't, and I, I saw the four people. I didn't see one person doing it. And that's when I realized I needed to quit comedy and never do comedy again, because there's no way I was going to be that good. And I'm still not that good. So I walked out that day with a different uh, mindset of comedy. And I started doing these bits. I did a bit about uh, when Reagan was late, later in Reagan, at the end of Reagan's presidency about Russia, about Russia. And, uh, this Russian guy comes to America and he tries to buy a Playboy magazine, but the, but the Mormons had just bought uh, a 7-Eleven. So he couldn't get it. He couldn't get a Playboy at 7-Eleven. So he thought what's happening to America. We're losing our, and it was this bit where I play this Russian character the entire time. I went way deep into all this other because of Robin and Lady Tomlin. And then, but I still was doing club comedy, which is talking, you know, just doing whatever it took to get by stories about this. But when you remember when you were a kid, remember go to the store and buy stuff. It was just lame. And then I started to hate it about 12 years in. I started to hate myself where I'd be on stage and a bit would come. You as a comic, you, you, you have a list of show, you do a show a certain way and you have bit, a bit list in your head or it's on a notepad and the, uh, it's on a piece of paper on the stool that you're reading. And I'd see the next thing I had to say, and I'd hate, I said, God, I don't want to go through this again. Jesus, I hate this bit, blah, blah, blah. And I would do it. So I was going to quit. I decided 12 years in that I was going to quit comedy. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, the, the phrase I use is I call it growing a tumor on my soul. I just, I, I, I just could no longer tolerate my lameness is what I'll call it lameness. And so I, I decided to do something different. I wrote this bit called, we need comedy to get rid of our desire to kill. I wanted to throw everything I did out and tr try something. But the bit starts out, you know, you know, comedians hit the stage, Zach, they're like, hey, how you doing? Well, it goes feeling good, everybody good, right? So, and that went on everybody, that's how everybody starts every show ever. I walked on stage with this new, new bit and I went, do you guys even know why you're here? Is it because you like paying $4 for a beer? Uh, no, we're here tonight because comedy gets rid of our desire to kill. And the audience, the first thing you remember, this is when Seinfeld was huge. So nobody was even, no one was banging against this. Uh, Hicks, maybe Hicks. Uh, but, and, and I remember doing it the first night. I was, I was so scared of doing it. It was so far out of the wheelhouse I'd been working in that I took a buddy from my acting class. And I do this bit where it's the worst. I, it's in one of my, I put it in one of my later specials because when I wrote it, I wasn't good enough to pull it off. And it's this story about the worst day you can possibly have uh, from driving to work and spilling coffee to it, having HR department call you in because a woman at work said you molested her and to, to you go to the boss and he starts this conversation with, with you're not fired, but, and, and while he's ordering a Mercedes on the phone. And at the end of the last piece of the bit, it, it's funny all the way through, I'm stabbing him in the chest with a letter opener, screaming, I just need a good laugh. And then I would go to the audience, and that's why you're here tonight. And <laughs> the first night I did it, it's about three and a half minutes long. Um, it was at Igby's, a club that used to be downtown. And I knew, I, I brought my friend, I said, told my buddy Eric, I said, get me out of here. I said, because they're going to hate me at the end of this bit. So you just need to get me out of there. They went nuts. They went nuts. They were like, yeah, well... I don't have anything else to do now. I have <laughs> this one three minute bit. I've got to do 15 minutes and I have to fill 12 minutes and I don't have anything in that genre. 
And here's where I learned, and I've told this story before, I learned the most important thing you can ever learn about performing in front of a live audience, authenticity. I dropped, I was, it was the first time in my career I'd ever been authentic. I was successful at my job, but I was unmemorable. This three minutes was the first time I got on stage and was in to totally 100% entirely authentic. I dropped right back into my old act to get through the next 12 minutes. Uh, Cause I thought I was gonna get booed off. I dropped in for the next 12 minutes and the audience went dead silent. They say, and I, as I walked out, I was driving home like, wow, I was killing. And then I sucked. And I, and I finally got that the audience stopped liking me because all of a sudden I started lying to them. They saw who I was. They saw what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden I started lying to them. I told them the truth for three minutes. Then I lied to them for 12. And they were like, fuck this guy. And, and that's what happened. And then I, that night I went home and I threw out 12 years of comedy, threw it out. And I started from scratch. And that's where Norman Rockwell's bleeding came from. My sincerest apologies for the interruption. But if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Absolutely amazing story. I had no idea about any of that. I thought that I knew a lot about you. That part I didn't know. So uh, yeah. that to me is absolutely fascinating, which is going to lead into so many other things I want to talk about. One of which is the name of one of your specials, but we're going to go a lot deeper. It's the idea of the voices in your head. Right. Something that I talk about with creatives all the time on this podcast is failure and imposter syndrome. Mm. 
And you went in that one little bit, went through a massive case of imposter syndrome. Why am I doing this? I'm a total fake. And there's no question that in my mind, one of the reasons that I think you are so successful and the reason I gravitated to your stuff is I don't feel like I'm watching a stand-up comedian. I feel like I'm watching a human talk about their story very honestly. And it's just funny as shit when you do it. Like watching most comedians, I don't feel like I know them. Right. I watch Sebastian Maniscalco. I don't know who he is. You know, he's goofy and he's got fun comedy and whatnot. But I don't there's no connection there. Right. With you, there's this connection because you feel very real. And it's like, man, this guy's gone through some stuff. Right. (laughs) And and that's what you feel. And I didn't even know that there was a version of you that, you know, those basically like, isn't it crazy when you go to the dry cleaners? Like, right. Like, I I can't even imagine you being that comedian. Uh, We wanted to do a uh, we want to do like a, a me. I think we're going to do a review video of it where I on YouTube where I watch me being me way oh, wow. back when I was 20. And I think I'm just going to sit here and just review me like as the guy I am now review that guy. I think it's going to be really funny <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, yeah, the voice in my head. So I did a thing called the Landmark Forum. A buddy of mine is a doctor, uh, a holistic doctor, Nuka doctor. It's a specific kind of chiropractic that's very exact. They don't guess. That's because chiropractors, they guess. They snap you around and pray you go back to an eight center. As my buddy says, if that was the case, the accident would have fixed you. Um, so which, when I got that, I was like, oh, shit, I didn't think about that. So they do. Nuka is very specific. It's been on triple blind studies. It's, it's, it's just the best thing. It saved my life. I used to have dark circles. I had horrible sciatica. It's all gone. Um, that being said, so he kept telling me, you got to do this thing called the Landmark Forum. I looked it up. It was based in Est in the 70s. Then it changed to the Landmark Forum. And, and then the guy that invented it for somehow was friends with the guy from Scientology. And, I, and I'm a comedian and I'm very cynical. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go sell flowers in the airport. I am not going to drink the Kool-Aid. But my buddy, who's really enlightened, I call him my crazy friend, Marshall. Uh, he He's so enlightened and he would just have these solutions. Well, Although I wouldn't take the course, every time something went wrong in my life, I would call him. <laughs> like, like I would go, what do I do here? And he would tell me, he'd go, where's well, what I think you should do? And he goes, you know, you got to look at your future and blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just take the course? I'm not doing it. I'll call you later. Then I get in a fight with my dad and I call Marshall and be like, dude, I got in a fist with my dad. We're screaming at each other. He would talk me through it and go, why don't you take the course? Shut up. So I wouldn't take this course. I wouldn't, 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 wouldn't. Uh, and you can look it up, Landmark Forum. It, it's, it, it, it was, it's life, life transforming for me. So finally what happened was I, I was doing well in L.A. I mean, well, I, well is such a, a relative term in L.A. There's so many levels of well. I had a good agent. I had made it to the final like leads on like uh, six different pilots, one pilot season. Like I got to the final audition, me and the last guy. It was between him and I. And I got there. And in the middle of those auditions, I was fine up to the final audition when I realized it was all on the line. And all of a sudden, in my head, you're a DF student, you're a failure, you've never done anything with your life. Why are you even here? You don't even know what you're doing. What are you doing? You fumbled, you faked your way to here, and now you're going to fail again. And that that happened six times, and I lost every audition. And I went home uh, after the sixth one. Six or seventh one. Pilot, my my agent calls. He goes, they called and said, you didn't get it. Um, But don't worry, next pilot season, you know, we'll be here soon enough. And I went home and I was like, I got to change something, man. I got, there's, I have to, this is not working. So I called the forum, I signed up. And then I made the mistake of signing up my wife, who's now my ex-wife. She was so mad at me. I don't want to do it by myself. And I signed up and I took the course 
Then I took the advanced course. And within two years after that course, I had a deal for my own television show where I was executive producer and writer. And that ended up being Titus. And all it did, all it did was it doesn't give you anything. It doesn't, it's a really a course about self-examination where you clear your past, anything that's holding you back from the past. And then the advanced course sets your future where you get to pick your future. Whatever you want to happen in life can happen. I'm a DF student with no, nothing on paper says I should be successful. Within three years after I took the advanced course, not only did I have my television show, but I got a Writers Guild nomination for an episode that I wrote. And they, they, we got beat by Everybody Loves Raymond. But it, that's impossible. There's nothing. Uh, so when everybody says I can't do it because, yeah, shut up. Shut up. Because I did. You, you know, I did. And, and now I've written and directed my own movie. I, it, it's like it's, it teaches you to get rid of every, all, your, all your barriers went away. All my barriers. I don't have barriers. You know, and that's why I think Tony's is easier for me because I know I I accept. Okay, if my, as I said years ago, it's it's a it's a it's an Edison quote. Uh, I, I never fail. I succeed at finding what doesn't work. It's just a modification of that, and that's what the forum taught me. And I started a charity out of that, and and all it really really gave me was the ability to be fearless. And and that's what Tony's does too at that on Ninja Sunday. People. We're going to die one day. It's all going to go away. You, we, as I say in my new show, we're all going to lose. What are you scared of? Failure? <laughs> no. No one's going to care anyway. No one else except you cares now. What are you worried about? Fearlessness. You know? And you, if you fail, you just found out what didn't work. You actually got better. Anyway, that's how I try to live anyway. Well, I absolutely love that. One of the things that I want to dig into even a little bit deeper, and this is something that I teach all of my students, especially the ones that come for the career side of things, looking for the next gig, can you take a look at my resume or, you know, help me with an outreach email. I think that it's all about the strategy and the strategy is important, but they don't understand the mindset component. And what I always tell them, it doesn't matter if they say, I'm hoping to be a director someday, or I'm hoping to go from assistant editor to editor, or be a composer. And I say, enough of all that hope crap. Do you believe that you are that thing? Well, no, not yet. Like, tell you believe it, nobody else is going to believe it, right? right? So you can say, I want to be a director, and then you right. expect somebody to hire you as a director, then you become one. It doesn't work that way. You have to believe you are the thing first until other people believe you are the thing, and you're getting to second to the, you know, the top chair on a pilot, but in your head, you're like, I'm not the lead of a pilot. Are you crazy? Right. Guess what? They knew that too, because you knew it already. Right. I told them. I didn't, I didn't say the words, but I came into the room with it. This no. guy's not a star. This guy's not the lead. Or maybe you were I, talking I, I, out you, loud. You're 100% right. That's 100%. Maybe you actually walked and, into the room in your final uh, your final audition. All right, so I'm a DF student. I have no business. Oh, wait. <laughs> Am I saying all this out loud? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting. You know, you just said you just, you just, you'd crystallize it. That's exactly what happened. So what happens after I did the forum, I, I, I did the advanced course. I turned to the forum leader, a guy named Jerry. I'll never forget him. And I go, because you kind of, you, they make you, you sit down and they don't coach you you design your future they just coach you on they don't they don't pick it they don't tell you you do this well that you just sit down what what's your impossible and i sat down and it was my own television show that i write and produce so and i came up with titus the idea was i want to create a show that causes a paradigm shift in the way people see their dysfunctional lives not as a failure uh, but as a success. And so I, and so, and I can't, and I, dude, I had this and I had this insight, like a bull from lightning and I went up to Jerry and I go, Jerry, I go, I'm going to create a TV show. That's going to cause a paradigm shift. And I do the whole thing. And he goes, great. And then he just walked away. Cause you know, he didn't care. They don't, they, it's the, that's what looked great about the course. They don't care. And, and then 
I did it. I did it. And I knew I was going to do it. I didn't have, because I cleared my past, all the bullshit, my dad and my mom and being a loser and a DF student. Cause I really cleared that. Uh, I don't carry it around as baggage. I use it for jokes now. Um, because I cleared it, it was so easy to step into a new future and decide I was that guy. And I don't mean I chose, I am a, and then three years later, I had a writer's guild nomination without going to college. So you're right, dude, you have to decide this is who you are. And it's not a trick. That's the part people, you can say it. And and the more you say it, the more it will become real, but it's not a trick. Uh, you can't just, you have to figure out what you do. Well, I'm really good at stories. I'm really good at insight into stuff. I'm good at taking, taking what everybody believes is one way and flipping it. I'm good at that. So that's what that, that's, and that's where I wanted to go. You know, if you ask me, uh, you know, math, give me a math job. I'm pretty much going to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were a DF student after all, right? So yeah, <laughs> exactly. of course you're going to. Uh, so one of the things that I'm I could, really... I eventually I'd figure out math. Sure. I, if, if I was like, you know what I want to be a mathematician, I would figure it out. You figure it out because you're a smart guy. It's just not one of your strengths, but you're still obviously right. incredibly intelligent. It's just not an area that you have enough desire to get good at it. Right. right. There's and, a and difference. That's part of it. That's my, my, my daughter's a musician now. Uh, her name's Kenny K. We named after my dad, but she it's uh, K and I, and she's a musician and she writes songs at 12 years old. She was writing songs. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's spitting out songs like all the time. And I told her she came to me uh, and she wanted to have lunch and we are you know, divorce was bad. And I didn't see her that often. And she said, I want to, I, I say, she, I said, what are you doing with college? She's getting high. And she goes, uh, I, I want to play music. And I knew she, it was a trick because I'm a comedian. And she, she knew that asking me, I can't say, you have to go to college. I was like, yeah, I guess you can do what you want. And now she's making money doing that. But she believed she's a musician. She knows that's who she is. I know, but I didn't, you know. So many people, I, I don't understand. You said as... As you're told as a child, you're a failure, you're not doing it right, you're a loser. That little voice in your head, we're back to that now, becomes, that voice in your head, people, that you're hearing is not you. It's everybody you were raised by, everybody in your life who told you you're going to fail, you're not going to make it, uh, This you can't do this, you're not good enough for this, um, you, you screwed that up, you broke that, you spilled that. That voice is not you. It sounds like you because it's in your head. But it's just an implant from all the people that weren't real positive in your life. And once you recognize that and separate that voice from you, you can tell that voice to shut up. I just go, shut up. That voice pops up once in a while. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing. You're out. And it's gone. But just know when you hear that voice in your head tell you how bad you suck, it ain't you. It's, it's a parent that is no longer around. It's a, a friend that screwed you over. It's in a relationship that made you feel like it ain't you. And just be clear about that. Yeah, one of the biggest uh, kind of eye-opening moments that I had very similar to this in all the personal development work and psychology. I mean, I'm just – I'm absolutely obsessed with all this stuff as much as I am obsessed yeah, with Ninja and everything else. I'm not so good with hobbies. I have obsessions. And this is definitely <laughs> one of mine. And several years ago going through this process, um, I was talking to uh, somebody about all the things that I was experiencing and dealing dealing with. And they asked me a question that totally threw me off. When I was talking about you know what it, the, the things that were in my head, they said, whose voice is it? And I'm like, that's a dumb question. It's my voice. She's like, no, give the voice a name. What? That's a good point. It, the voice isn't me. And all of a sudden, like this, I'm like, 
oh my God, I know whose name this is. I knew exactly who the voice was. That's when it shifted for me. Because now I can say, shut up, like stop talking, right? Because yeah. it's not me, it's that other person's voice. And I sometimes have that person's voice in my head. The one that's in my head all the time now, and you can probably attest to this, is Tony's. Yep. Right? Tony's, yep. Saturday yeah. afternoon, you get the email and you're just like, I, and I can't use 90% of the words that he would probably use to get us to show up because, you know, we want to keep this as clean as possible and not offend anybody. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, that's a voice that I now have in my head, 90% of which is positive, 10% of which, you know, can, you know, kind of noodle you and, you know, kind of, you know, give you the, the poke in the ribs that you need. Um, yep. But what I learned is that you're never going to be able to get rid of the voices, whether it's your own, whether it's other people's. You just got to get really good at replacing those voices with other people's voices that give yep. you the belief and the confidence that you can do certain things. And they quiet down. Those voices don't like to know that you know that that it's not you. Those voices don't like to know, and they keep popping up. I mean, it's my, you know, mine, mine is based in mostly my dad and. I got to be honest, and you know, so many people told me that because my mom was crazy, I was going to be crazy, and and whether that's true or not, I've at least channeled it in a decent way. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're yeah, you, I, those voices don't like to be recognized as not being you. They they want them that they want those voices want. And we're talking like we're schizophrenics right now. Uh, <laughs> those voices want you to not notice that it's not you, but it ain't you. It ain't you. It, it's in, giving a name's a great idea. That's a great idea because then that time it jumps in. That's I'm doing that. That's a helpful because because by the way you can't kill them you notice you can't kill them they get quieter and they don't show up as much but in a moment of stress in a moment where you need to really show up they, and I will tell you this we had one shot that special you came and saw we had one shot at it one because uh, I picked the weekend to film it the same weekend that Netflix did their Netflix comedy kind extravaganza where you know where Gabriel was doing uh, Dodger Stadium and Patton was playing a theater and Bill Burr was doing it. so everybody who's great in comedy was in LA that weekend and my manager said you're not going to sell a ticket to this and I said no we're going to I go we'll, we'll, we'll fill it up he goes I'm telling you people you know they're going to go see those guys and we actually had we had a pack show we just didn't have two so I had one shot and I was backstage and here's the difference between who I was back then fearful worried with the vo hearing the voice as my own to who I am now my my producers freaking out my uh, the crew's freaking out my sound guy's freaking out and my wife who's the line producer and the executive producer is freaking out because nothing was working and I said guys 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 everybody calm down listen if we horribly fail at this and it sucks we had a very expensive rehearsal <laughs> and everybody <laughs> just looked at me and went Oh, so because I reframed it, because I wasn't afraid of what was going to happen, I just reframed it for everybody. All of a sudden, and that sometimes is, and I don't want to say leadership, but sometimes if you can just eat, whether, whether you're, it's your goals, somebody's goals, or a group goal, when the stress hits, try to reframe it in a way that, because you're going to do the same thing anyway. You can actually operate out of full stress, operate out of failure. If you're imagining failure, I guarantee you there's a more there's there's a, there's a bigger percentage you're going to hit failure uh, than if you're not thinking about failure, or if you just accept that hey this is going to fail let's have fun while we're failing, all of a sudden all the pressure goes off. One more story about this and I'll move on. What I learned, my my wife is a comedian too. She's she's she used to run comedy clubs. We got together. She started giving me jokes. She'd come see one of my shows and be like, what if you said this? And damn it, the jokes were funnier than some of the shit I could write. And I was getting mad. I was furious. <laughs> I was like, don't you help me. I'm the pro. You don't, I don't need. And so 
she kept doing it. And I was using her jokes. So, you know, there's a couple of jokes I used that were killing. And there's one in this new show that she gave me right before. And, uh, and so I finally said, I said, you need to be a comedian. She had booked comedy for six years. And she goes, I don't want to be a comedian. I said, no. I said, yeah, you do, because you keep giving me jokes. You keep coming up with funny. You may not see you, because she had her voice in her head. And she, I said, you don't see it, but I see it. So she spent a year, and she wrote a show. And she wouldn't get on stage, because that voice in her head knew she was going to fail. And so I went and I signed her up for a comedy competition without telling her. And I signed her up for a comedy competition and I came home and I said, I signed you up for this comedy competition at the ice house. And she, Zach, she flipped out on me. She was like, you don't tell me and I run my life and I'll, when I'm good and ready. And then she said, when is it? And I was like, (laughs) 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 she came in second. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. She's hilarious by the way. So anybody that, you know, wants to go down the tightest rabbit hole, they should be going down the Ray Ray rabbit hole afterwards. Cause uh, she's she's phenomenal. Sometimes, you know, the people, it's weird how sometimes the people that are the most positive in your life, they're trying to help you be, get everything you want. It's not because they're trying to pump you up. It's because they can actually see what you can't. So sometimes uh, for a long time, I listened to the insults or I listened to the, to, you know, to, to, the dismissiveness of people towards what I wanted to do and didn't listen to the people that said, yeah, you should definitely do that. Cause I, cause all of a sudden that voice tells you those people are crazy, but those people are the ones that see you for who you really are. And, and they care enough about you. So it's, it, you got you, you also have to listen to people in your life, man. You got to listen to people in your life. So given everything we've talked about so far, you certainly sound very successful to me, and I don't know why I keep bringing up failure. <laughs> what I'd love to talk about now a little bit more, and you allude to it in your special, but because we're all you know, talking about the industry and how the industry works, right. what in the world happened to your sitcom? Oh, I, I would say a success and money is, a, is probably the worst drug in the world. Um, success does two things. Success, uh, aside from money, does two things, especially, especially, uh, fame. Uh, Um, it makes everybody around you, uh, kiss your ass. It makes everybody around you all of a sudden either afraid to tell you, or they still want to be connected to it. So they just get really like, you're great. You're awesome. Well, when you hear that long enough, uh, you're, you're a genius. The comedy is gee, Oh my God, you got a writer's guild nomination. You don't even go to college. You're genius. You start to think you're right all the time. <laughs> so I was in a meeting at Titus. We had three. So if Titus was killing, we were, and we were, we kind of broke the mold of the sitcom a bit, us and Malcolm in the middle. Um, cause I hated sitcoms. And when I came with the idea for Titus, I just, I didn't want to do a sitcom. And George Burns years ago had just done this one where he would turn to the camera and talk. And I thought we're stealing that. And I, I had to fight the network on the black and white. I had to fight the network on the flashbacks, but it was a constant fight. And in fact, it was such a fight but the script was so funny that myself, Jack, Jack Kenny, and Brian Hargrove had written that the network couldn't deny the script was funny. It was a, such a weird thing. They're like, we think this is funny and we know it won't work. That's pretty much what we were told <laughs> in more than one meeting. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a pilot and a very little bit of money. And so what the, so, and, and here's what else I've learned in life. When you think everything's going wrong, that's the way it's supposed to go. And how do I know that? Because that's the way it went. When you think it's all wrong, when you, when all these goals that you set didn't happen and these other goals happened, sometimes getting the, getting a bad answer is exactly what you needed. You just have to kind of, it's, it's faith in the universe, man. So, 
So they give us a little bit of money. Um, we cast the show. We get it done. A day before we're filming and the run through before we shot the pilot, the network comes to us and says, um, we don't like Cynthia Watros. We don't think she's funny. And we're going to recast. And so Jack, Brian, and I had a meeting. And Brian, very smart, Brian Hargrove, very smart man, says, it's not, it's not her, it's us. And I looked at him and he goes, we wrote it wrong. So the three of us and the writers got into a room and we rewrote her entire character because we had made her this kind of ditzy, kind of funny, and she wasn't. She's wicked smart. And she could, and, and it, for whatever reason, it just wasn't. Again, we're back to authenticity now. She, what we didn't write her as who she was. So we switched it and wrote her as a snarky, no bullshit, cut to the bone person. And her opening monologue killed. We went from, and that was, and she learned it in one day, came in and blew the roof off. So because they said we're going to recast and we, and we had to go rewrite and we did, and we, we fixed it. So the bad news was actually the best news we could possibly get. Then what happened was uh, the other bad news we got, we finished the pilot. It did well. And they said, we're going to put you on in the fall season. And we were so excited. Two weeks before they announced the schedule, they called us and they said, we're not putting you on the fall season. We're moving you to mid-season. Now, mid-season, if people know, that's when they put shows they don't think is going to do well and they hide them later on. That's changed. But at that time, it was like that. So we realized they don't think we're going to fit. They put Malcolm in the middle on instead. And I was so pissed, man. I was so angry. And what happened was, was that was the year that of the 16 shows that Fox put up in the, in the new season, within three weeks, 13 of them were canceled. <laughs> it was, it was a bloodbath, man. They just, 13 shows canceled. So when the, when the mid, when the, when the mid season came up in March, we were put on, I think March 16th or whatever, we were the golden child. They were like, you're not going to believe this show. So those two horrible disappointments, you know, made us get better and were actually the exact right thing. So then three years in shows doing well, I'm killing myself. I'm up, I'm writing till, till midnight with the writer's room. And then I'm going down. I'm just giving you the excuses of why what happened happened. Uh, but the reality is I just should have shut the f up. Excuse my language. Uh, sorry. I think we're at Tony sometimes when I'm hanging out with you. <laughs> so, uh, I, we had a meeting at the network. We had three presidents in three years, three different presidents. Doug Herzog, who was awesome. Doug Herzog's a great executive. He's one of the, remember I said early on, there was four or five people that I really think are super creative and they get it. Doug Herzog is one of them. He's this guy. And then he, he ran Comedy Central after Fox. He was president of Fox time. And he would be like, if it was working, he'd be like, keep doing what you're doing. It's great. That's all he would say. He understood creativity. He understood that the artists seem to have a handle on what's going on. Every week they're turning out quality. Every week they're doing their job. Let it go. So many executives want to pee on it. They just want to pee on it. They don't care. They don't care what you know to work. And I've been doing comedy at that time, 20 years almost. They don't care that you know. They want to be part of it. So they're going to pee on it, even if they don't know. Doug is one of those executives smart enough to have, be creative and know when he doesn't know. Killer. Then we had another guy, Sandy Grushaw, came in. Sandy Grushaw had been running 20th Television. Sandy was uh, one of these guys that was more worried about power than doing a, a great job, in my opinion. And he he just he just he, he just he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So we got through that year. Then we had Gail Berman. Gail Berman came in. She was head of Regency who had done Malcolm in the Middle. And Gail Berman was 
Uh, creative, very, uh, again, in my opinion, high school issues, a lot of stuff that came up with Gail. Uh, you want to talk about someone who had a voice in her head? I believe Gail did. My opinion, again, Gail, if you're watching, I love you. It's great. Uh, uh, you won. You canceled the show. We're good. So uh, uh, we'll get to integrity, too. Uh, there's one more story I want to tell. You can tell me to shut up when you want me to. So what happens is this. We have a meeting in the third season. Gail's a new president, sits down at the meeting, and she says, uh, um, all right, uh, the show's going well. It's doing great. We're really going to do a big push this next year. Me, Jack, and Brian are there, and they, they go, um, she goes, I want, you to, I want you to split the uh, Chris and Aaron up and have them cheat on each other. Well, two things came up for me instantly. I also am a comedian, and, and you see me at, at Tony's. I just say what I say. I don't, I just, you know, I'm just, if it comes up, it comes out of my mouth because I don't have a filter because my job is to not have a filter. My job is to get on stage, say what comes up. So instantly I think, well, we already did that episode, episode four, we cheated on each other. And that was, the, and, and she goes, no, I want to do an arc with like three or four uh, different episodes where you guys have a, a, a love triangle. And what I, and here's the problem with it. I know, and I, I think I'm a smart enough guy. There was another show they were doing, um, Darm and Greg. And the whole thing with Darm and Greg was Darm and Greg had cheated on each other. Kevin, Sor uh, Kevin Sorbo had come into the picture and then they had, uh, she was sleeping with Kevin Sorbo, then she went back. Well, what you, what you can't do in television, what you can't do in storytelling is you can't set up a premise and then blow the premise out of the water. The whole premise of Dharma and Greg was the hippie and the yuppie I mean, the hippie and the hippie can be together, as, you know, and, and, and nothing can break them apart. Well, if you break them apart, you've killed the series. Well, Titus was based on the fact that two dysfunctional people together create a strong enough bond with their dysfunction that you can't break them up. They will be loyal to each other. And if you split them up, then you, you've, we've, I've just lied to the audience. All these, Titus was for all these screwed up people who don't think they fit in. And I proved to him that, no, you not only do you fit in, you fit in better because you can handle that no one else can handle because they haven't been through it. So I said, to, all right, here's, so here's where everything goes sideways. <clears throat> uh, I, there, there's 20, 30 people at this table. It's the biggest, it's a table. It's this giant conference room outside of Rupert Murdoch's office at the top of Fox. Gail Berman sitting across from me, Jack and Brian are next to me. And there's literally maybe another 22 executives around this, this huge table. And, uh, she finishes, she goes, I want you to split them up and we have a love triangle and blah, blah, blah. And I said, and I, and I said, oh, God, I, I don't, I, I've told this story, but I hate telling it because it makes me, it's the one regret I think I have in my life. Uh, real regret. I look at, I look at the network president and I say, do you even watch the show? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I go because here's how this works. I go, you we've told and I told her all. I go, we have a couple that or that the entire premise of the show is based on dysfunctionality is powerful, and these two people together, you can't break them up. If I break them up and she leaves him, I've blown the entire thing. I go, we lose the whole audience. And basically, we've lied to them from the first episode, so we're not doing it. That's what I, to the network president in front of everybody that she's, that she's new to, and she works and all these people work for her. I was waiting. And I, I said, the thing I did it in the bit, I was waiting for a William Wallace moment where, you know, I was like, freedom, thinking that everyone's going to go, yeah, good. Tell the, tell the network president. And, uh, it got quiet, dude. It got so quiet. And, uh, Jack and Brian, my co-execs, they, I, they, 
the, you know, as I said later, just stick me in the neck with a pencil, shove me up before I get the sentence out. I'm fine with that. I know what you're doing now. I have wisdom now. The network president sits there after I finished this a little bit. It wasn't even tired. I didn't swear at her. I just kind of explained why it won't work. I guess I did it with some strident uh, tones. I can, I can see that coming from you. I can perhaps <laughs> yeah, see some, some edge. So, I, I, so the network president, Gilbert, sits back and she's sitting in her chair and she just nods her head. And she, this, is what she's, this, is, this, is, this is the coldest moment in show business, dude. She goes, fine, do what you want. And doesn't break my gaze, dude. <laughs> and, I, and, and it felt like, I said it in the bit, I go, it was like a tumbleweed blew across and the thermostat lowered itself. And I heard Clint Eastwood's voice, well, you really f***ed that up, didn't you? So, <laughs> and that was the moment, uh, the next day, then literally the next week, the next Monday, all promo for Titus stopped. Every piece of advertising stopped. Uh, Bernie Mac kind of took our idea for the show. They even said that. They called it an homage to Titus. Uh, Bernie Mac was getting promoted. We were following him uh, a, a, a half an hour later. And the only promo we got after I did that stupid <laughs> was a tiny little Chiron at the bottom of the screen that said Titus at 930. That's all it said. Problem is they moved us again. Ratings went down and they came back up because people found us. They didn't even announce they were moving us. They just did it. And then it, they, ratings came back up again. And I'm going to tell you my last regret. That's my second regret. My, I have two regrets in show business. I get a call from uh, the president of the, of the studio of 20th Television. And, and, and she goes, you need to go to a meeting with Gail Berman. And you need to kiss her ass. You tell her whatever she needs to hear. And if you know me at all and you know me a little bit, that's not the best thing to do because what it does is it gets rid of – there's a way to be – there's a way to totally tell people exactly what you think without disrespecting them. And I hadn't done that yet. I, I, I did – well, I have done that with everybody else, the crew and everybody else. But I, th always, I, always, I always saw the network as an enemy. And just so you guys know, if the, if the network has given you money, even if they're being a pain in the ass, even if they're saying, you, you, we need you to change this, we don't like this – they're trying, they're just covering their ass. They're trying to figure out how to keep your show on the air. They really are. So you should, be, you should, you should, I, but I never heard it that way. Again, I didn't choose to hear, we're trying to help you. I choose, we're trying to ruin you. And it's exactly the same sentence they were giving me. So it was, I, I totally take res responsibility. This was my fault. I go to lunch with the president of the network and she said, and I, and dude, I've never done this uh, before since I sat there. And I told her everything she wanted to hear. And I felt like I slimed myself. I was sitting there and I was like, if you want us to have a baby, we'll have a baby. And we'll do it. Da, 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 da. And I walked out of there feeling like, oh, I, like I needed a shower. And what I should have said is this. I look back on this day. This, this is the key to me not having this kind of this weird emotional tumor that I'll never get rid of. I should have said, hey, I'm really sorry what I said at that meeting. I should have taken responsibility. I said, I take responsibility for what I said. It was out of line. And I go, but the reality is this. We are giving you a laugh out loud funny show every week. And I promise to keep doing that. And we will take your ideas. We'll run them through. And if we can make them work, we will. But I want you to know I'm apologizing for what I did. And we're going to keep doing the show we're doing. If you want to cancel it, that's on you. It's not on me, but I promise you, I will do my job for you and what you're paying me for. Thank you for lunch. And then I should have walked out. At least I'd have walked out with my soul. I probably could have adjusted it and make it a little nicer, but that's about what I should have done. So uh, you have to be careful, man. Show business, and that's what I mean about fame and money, is that show business and success, 
can make you give up you and you don't have to. I mean, if you look at the, the best artists of all time, Springsteen, you know, Prince, they never gave themselves up for it and they became monsters. So next time you're thinking, oh, if I just did this, it'll be okay. You know, little things. Yeah, but don't, I gave up pretty much everything I believed in at that lunch and she still canceled the show, you know? So I got my soul destroyed and I lost the show. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. One of the things that I told myself, having come from a very, very small rural farming community in northern Wisconsin, as far away as possible from L.A., the joke that I always tell people is that when I travel back home, I need a passport because it's like going to a foreign country. (laughs) Totally different world. But I remember, and I don't know exactly when I told myself and I had these, you know, these, uh, you know, water rose colored pictures in my mind of how all of this went down. It probably didn't. But at least the image in my mind is as I'm driving across the country, I've got two and a half days to go from Wisconsin to L.A. I've got my first job on Monday. It's all starting. I remember telling myself at one point, I'm done as soon as the business changes me. I can't let the business change me, at least for the worse. I can't let the business tell me who I'm going to be. Now, I'm a very different person now than I was when I was 22 years old driving out here. But at the same time, if anything, I've learned things and I feel that I've become a better person, but I didn't become the person the industry wanted me to become. But, oh, man, were there opportunities. There's always opportunities because, like you said, success is the worst drug ever, right? And I would say that a regular paycheck is pretty close as well because a paycheck keeps you from your own dreams so you can help somebody else achieve their dreams. Yeah. Interesting. You, I, I see that with you. I see with, 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 yeah, you get, you get a job that you're kind of in, if you were in like, you're, you're on a killer show, you're doing an amazing job. I love the show you were editing it. And, uh, it's interesting how you, that, that can do it too. That that's what happened with comedy a little bit. Um, well, you, what you just said is really interesting because not, it's not just uh, a success with money. There's a couple of comedians that I know that have gotten very, 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 very hugely successful and, and who I knew them to be is not who they are on their current uh, media platforms. 
And what I noticed over the years, what happened was as they got bigger with a certain segment of the population, that instead of them pulling their audience to a better place, what they did was they let their audience pull them to a worse place. And it is kicked back on them a couple of times. I, nationally, it's kicked back on them hard. And I just decided never to do that. So, and uh, someone told me once a long time ago, they they were they were like, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I gotta be in LA, I gotta be in LA, I gotta go to my com commercial auditions. And when I, and it was a whole bunch of comics I was hanging out with were talking like this. And I decided years ago, I am never going to stop doing stand-up comedy because I never am going to be actor meat. I'm never going to be someone who's desperate for someone to say yes. I will create it myself. I'll do it on my own. And even if it doesn't success and I just squeak by, my soul is clean, my soul is healthy, and my creativity is alive. And so that's, that's an interesting thing about that paycheck because at one point, was there a point for you where you were like, oh, I'm really done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I've done it. I've done it well. I'm going to move to the next thing. Yeah, I've had a couple of those points. Uh, I would say that I had one and I've told my story about this ad nauseum to my audience over and over and over. So I'll keep it super short, but you probably haven't heard it. But it was when I was working on season one of Empire. Right. Uh, and if you remember season one of Empire, global phenomenon, like yeah. huge, breaking decades of ratings records. It was on the cover of every single magazine and TV shows everywhere. And yeah. I'm at the ep epicenter of all of it. Like I'm down the hall from Lee Daniels and Danny Strong. And like, it's, I'm like right in it. And it's like, when did this happen? I went from doing like cable shows to being in the middle of this zeitgeist. And at the same time, I was putting my kids to bed via FaceTime every single night. Wow. Right. And uh, what happened one night, and again, a lot of my audience has heard this, but for anybody new, essentially what happened is I was putting my kids to bed via FaceTime. My wife was there. She thought she had hung up and she hadn't. And my son, who was about five at the time, said to my wife, why doesn't daddy want to put us to bed at night? Why doesn't he love us? I was two weeks away from whatever I was editing in that room at that time being seen by 25 million people, and that was my reward. Wow. I said, all right, I'm out. I'm done. I got to figure something else out. And from that point, I designed a way out. Right. I had never done anything else in my life, and my identity was I am an editor. It's how I support myself. It's how I make a living. It's the path. It was the path I designed, and I had the next 30 years charted out. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be on this path anymore. And that was terrifying. I had a massive identity crisis, but I just started designing, what does it look like? What else can I bring to the world? What value can I bring? And it took a while to figure it out. But as I started to package it and noodle and do a lot of failure along the way, I figured out, like you had said at the beginning, I love how you crystallize it where you didn't say, well, I'm good at comedy. You said, what I'm really good at is taking an idea and pulling somebody along the way and then flipping it on them and then it causes them to look at themselves and learn something or think a different way. It's almost like comedy inception is what you do, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what I realized, and it took me a long time to realize this, is that what I am exceptional at is taking gigantic amounts of random information and distilling it into a very simple to understand package. There's been more than once even during the show, you're like, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good, simple way to put it. Right. I don't know how I do it, but I can do that. And once I figured out that's not just about being a good editor where I get 100 hours of footage and I turn it into 40 minutes, I can do it with anything. So right. I thought, what if I can help do, do that with other people's lives? 
Let's take all the random stuff, all the things you want to do, all of your goals, all the voices in your head. Let's package it down and I can help other people design what that path looks like. And I realized I'm not starting with zero experience. I've actually got 20 years of experience. And as somebody that's in production and in post-production and everything else, you've done it all. You know that essentially the editor is not just somebody that bangs away on a keyboard. They're the local therapist for the entire production crew. Like how many times have you gone into an edit suite and you collapse on the couch and you're like, oh, this business, these producers, right? And the editor slowly walks you off the ledge, at least the good ones, right? So I realized I can take 20 years of that experience and just take it into a slightly different version of the industry. But it took a long time to find that. It's interesting. You're still an editor. You're still an editor because because editors are you're a guy. Yeah, because because here's the here's the problem is that I don't even know I don't even know how you, your mind deals with it. We shot when we shoot stuff, and, and like you said, you're gathering up all this positive information about life and how to organize the stuff and and, and do it. That's exactly what you're. You're still being an editor. You're just doing it at a different in a different medium, but. Editors are like the guys like we've shot you, you we, we shoot six cameras or whatever. And then I'm like, we're f- <laughs> and, the, and the editor goes, no, we're not. Watch. Click, 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 click. Oh, my God. We cut that whole piece out. No one even knows we cut that out. Yes. So you can. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you can do that and you can make the journey to success shorter, that's what I think you're doing. You're making the journey to success for people shorter by doing this. Yeah, and the other component, which goes back to the voices, is that I help people believe they can do it. Right. Because I can give them all the strategies and I can tell them, well, do this tomorrow, do this on Wednesday, do this a month from now. Nobody's going to do it if they don't believe they can. Right. Right? So it's got to be those two components together. And the interesting thing, people, is this. And what he's saying is dead right. The interesting thing is as your success is mount, and and, 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 and this is going to sound weird, pick something that scares you. Having my own television show, don't pick something that you know you can accomplish because it's not going to chain. It's not going to rewire your brain. It's not going to rewire you. You're, you're just going to be like, yeah, of course, I knew I could do that. Pick something you know you can't do. Pick something you want to do. Uh, I always I call it picking the impossible. Pick the impossible. Uh, DF student getting his own television show uh, and getting a Writers Guild nomination with no college is impossible. T- touring the country, you know, having Bruce Springsteen come up and saying, you know, I watched your show because it was art. Again, that's the same guy. It's f- impossible. Um, the woman I'm married to. So far out of my league, it's ridiculous. Impossible. So just so you know that you need to pick something that scares you. Um, Zach and I do a do a thing, a, a rope beam. What, what are they? What's what's the exact name it's of that? It's called thing? peg beam rope beam peg pull ups. Yeah. Okay. So it sucks. It's it's like everybody. There's guys that have quit coming to Sundays specifically because of this one thing we do. And when I first saw it, I I remember looking at it like. I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm with these dudes. I'm going to do it. And, but I don't know, I'm going to drop 18 feet to my death probably. Uh, and I still went for it. That's even though I knew I was going to fail at it. Um, I did it anyway and now I can do it. So you pick something that's impossible. And again, it should scare you. It should, if it, cause it's not fear, it's excitement. Because and, and let's say let's say you only get sixty percent of where you want to be. Well, that's sixty percent closer than you were before you had the balls to try it again. And that's exactly what happened on when I first did the exercise. I got about sixty percent there, and now I can get. Now I even did the I even did the pegs last time. I, I'm getting better at it. So now I'm getting to 80, 90 percent, and uh, and I'll do it. And I'll do it. Uh, 
but when I first started it, it scared the out of me. And now I'm excited about it every time. So pick something impossible because you can do the impossible. I yeah. it. We're, we're totally on the same page there. And that's something that I tell my students all the time. And along those lines, I actually gave a speech about the same idea of all places at Tony Horton's house as the closing speech of his Paragon experience, which goes back to, hey, I know, let's go back four or five years, fat, bald, out of shape film editor is gonna be giving the keynote closing presentation at Tony Horton's Paragon experience. Like, come on, when is that possibly going to happen? But I'm like, you know what? I see that. I watched uh, American Ninja Warrior over 200 pounds, bowl of popcorn on my fat belly and mixed into the popcorn was Oreos. I shit you not, I'll never forget this image. <laughs> watching the show, I was just binge watching it in the middle of this horrible depression. And I thought, I can do that. I can't do it yet, but I can do that. And that's when it all started. So it's about you have to see it, then you believe it, then you piece together all the things that you can't do, and eventually you can do them. And you'll know, you'll, you'll know uh, two things I find that it has to have, two components. It, has, you ha it can't be something that you don't care about. It has to be something you actually care about. You obviously cared. Like I would watch Ninja Warrior, and I'm like, holy crap, man, because they make it look easy. That's the sucky part. Yeah, it tell looks, me about it. <laughs> tell yeah, me about it. It's easy. It ain't easy. And then Wesley, you wear around Wesley, and you're like, well, I can do if that guy. No. So uh, I uh, but pick it. You, you have to have a passion for it. Pick your passion. And you're going to say my passion. There's no way to make money. In my passion. There's no way to be successful with my passion. I don't know what your passion is, but I guarantee you there's a way to make money and be happy with it. Um, also, money's another bad drug. It's another bad drug. Elon Musk, perfect example of what a bad drug money is. Uh, especially late recently, just recently, he seems to have gone off the deep. It's just a bad drug. It changes your it changes your DNA in some weird way. A, a certain amount of money is fine to live and it'd be fine and get success, but there's a there's a level of money that is just a bad drug. Pick you have to have passion. Number one, number two, you have to. Again, you have to be scared of what you're trying. So, so you're you're imagine you're impossible. Have passion for it, and then pick something far beyond what you think you can accomplish. I trust, trust me, you will get, you will get so far beyond where you thought you could that it will stun you. It will stun you. And then you'll just see, then all of a sudden, let's say you shot to here and you're like, I just know I'm getting there. And let's say you don't the first time. Say you get to here. Well, then that's only that different. The next time you try it, it's only that far then. So the next time you do it, you're there. So passion and then pick something crazy. Yep, I totally agree with that. Uh, uh, reminds me of probably maybe not my favorite, but one of my top three quotes of all time uh, from James Cameron. You probably know it, which is that if you set ridiculously high goals and you fail, your failures are above everybody else's successes. Yeah. Wow. Right? I like that a lot. That's perfect. Yes. It's, it's basically the, the quote summation of all the stuff that you just said was once again, lots of information, big story, one sentence. Yep. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm of course. Have you start editing my conversations? <laughs> no, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've edited a conversation or two in my life. Um, so I've got a, another question for you, Thank and you. I'm I'm sure that people say this to you flippantly, and it's an actual, very genuine question. And I'm going to preface it by saying this: I don't really blow smoke, and if I have somebody on my podcast, I'm of course going to be complimentary. You do great work. I'm a fan of your book or your movie or whatever, right? But I'm not going to be inauthentic. Right. I genuinely believe that you are in the same conversation as Carlin and Cosby, the non-rapey version. I genuinely believe you have that level of talent. 
Well, there are so few people that can do what you do consistently. By the way, the voice just started going. The voice just started going. Just seeing. I'm sure. Yeah. And I love that you're bringing that up, but that's genuinely what, that's my view from the outside. And maybe I'm not a professional comedian, but I've been in media for a good portion of my life and I've watched a lot of comedy and there are a lot of great people, but I think that there's something very unique that you have that it's not just comedy. It's not just well-written. There's performance to it. There, there's so many components beyond just, I'm a good writer and I'm performing good comedy, right? So here's the question. All was that was a preface to that. Why don't you have a Netflix special? <laughs> Remember the story I told earlier about the network president? <laughs> so here's the one thing about Hollywood, and you probably all know this. When you, because Titus was, 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 was I mean, Stacy Keach, it wasn't because of me. It was because of the team we had. The idea was, but we pulled off something pretty groundbreaking at the time uh, in a sense of sitcoms. Um, and the story is, and I've told the story, I probably added to the legend of it, but I kind of it up. I kind of it up. And uh, in a sense that I didn't punch anybody. I didn't do anything crazy. I just, you know, I, 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 I was very honest with somebody who wielded their power like a weapon. And that was a mistake of mine. I, my diplomacy was So over the years, uh, I think uh, that story has gotten around and people know I'm very specific about what I want. Uh, all that, With a Netflix special, all it would take was uh, here's a Netflix special. Um, but everybody does calculations, man. It's all what's hip in the business, what's new. And I've kind of pulled myself out. Perfect example of what you're saying. I'm not a, there's a couple people in the industry that I know that are really ass kissers. They go everywhere. They talk to everybody. They're nice. They bullshit everybody. And like you said, I can't be inauthentic. I, I, I'm diplomatic now. I, I don't have to say, you know, you suck. But I can be like, I'll be like, yeah, I don't enjoy. I, I don't, I, you know, yeah, no, you're great. It's great. Yeah, I can, I can, but I don't like the lie. It makes me icky. So I don't hang out in show business. I don't, I don't have. I have a few show business friends, and there are also people that don't hang out in show business. I have someone, a good friend of mine, who's currently on a TV show right now, a, a national sitcom. He doesn't like show business. He doesn't hang out in show business. He just doesn't. He goes to what he has to. Um, because I don't do that, I don't have that networking thing. And not only do I not have it, I always think my talent should be enough, or it, sh or it won't, you know? Uh, so I don't have it. Um, a lot of comics have that. I just have never been that guy. Here's a quick story. When I did Star Search, I, uh, first two, I think two, I did, I think I got three things in Star Search. I think I got beat by a guy with a puppet or a guitar or something. And I was killing, I was killing the first two. And after the second one, the two producers invited me to go hang out with them. They're like, come on, man, going back to, it was in Orlando at Disney World. We're filming it. And, come on, man, come back to the hotel. We're going to hang out. I get to the hotel. I think we're just going to have dinner or whatever. And all of a sudden they go, uh, yo, man, we got some girls coming over, a bunch of alcohol. And I was like, and I went, uh, yeah. Oh, I said, oh, I, and here's what I said. I'll never forget it because the looks on their faces, I'll never forget it. I said, I said, oh, so you guys aren't in show business to create good stuff. You're in show business for the girls and, and the party. And, and I thought they would laugh. Uh, they didn't laugh. And I said, I'm married, guys. I can't, I can't be here when a bunch of women are here. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my hotel. Thanks. And those two guys, those two specific guys, one of them became very high on a network level. The other one is, is a very, very huge manager right now. And they don't call a lot. And, and all it does is, you know, so do me a favor. The other thing I would give you is people, uh, you can be authentic, but also have some diplomacy, which I don't have. <laughs> well, you're not supposed to have a filter. 
<laughs> That's your job is to not have a filter. I know it's my job to not, and then and then I get in trouble for not. But it's okay. So uh, Netflix special. Netflix, uh, I'm saying it. My Netflix special is going to happen ASAP. I have. Which is well, that was going to be my next question. Yes. Do you want a Netflix special? Who doesn't want a Netflix special? You know, there's it, it, it's a it's a great platform or an HBO special or even on Hulu. I, my, my stuff's been on. I've had six on Comedy Central. My buddy, my buddy Billy says, uh, he says, you got to stay in the box, Titus. You got to stay in the box. Somehow you got to get in the box. So there's some specific things you have to do in, in show business to maintain. Like if you're, if you don't edit for 10 years and you try to get an editing job, you're not getting an editing job. But if you go, oh, I'm still did it. I edited these 10 things. Um, you know, I, I'm always writing a new script. I'm always, you know, uh, submitting new stuff. I love the business. I love it. If you, I, I would love to be on a TV show for the next four years, but I'm never going to give up standup. Standup is where I live. So in Netflix, special more than anything i would love to have a special where more more people here's the here's the great thing about television like this new you saw the new special you saw you saw us film mm -hmm. it yeah, was there live by the right. way i was sitting next to your manager which i didn't know so number one you must have got me an amazing seat because i'm literally next to your manager and about halfway through i'm like this guy doesn't seem like he's that into it because he's probably seen it 20 times. Like, I'm laughing my ass off, and he's like, <laughs> I'm like, what's this guy's problem? This is hilarious. And then afterwards no, in the green room, I'm like, it. oh, shit, that was his manager. Yeah, no, every moment he's thinking, okay, all right, he didn't f that up. Okay, he didn't f that up. Okay, he didn't f that up. That's, what, that's the voice in my head. Um, what, was I, what was that to say? Yeah, so you're sitting there, but thanks for that show. So that show, everybody I've performed that show for already all the people, all the shows I've done, the year it took me to build that show. Imagine how many audiences, how many packed houses, how many theaters. It's less than like 1% or 2% of what people would see it if you showed it on Netflix. And that, I mean, you want to get your message out there. You want to, so I would love that. And, and I've got invited to the, uh, I'm going to go to the Fringe Festival in Scotland to do uh, my other show, Carrying Monsters, that I, that I wrote during COVID. And I didn't get a chance to figure it out. So I'm taking that to Scotland. And that's real personal. That's not as, like this one, you saw it. It's very kind of socially relevant on what's going on on the planet right now. As I call it, a blunt assessment of what's happened in the last two and a half years. All right. So now I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Okay. What's it going to take to get the Netflix special? Okay, well, I've, I've put those, okay, so again, people, I know what you're going for. I, you have to get, it doesn't work by yourself. You have to have a community around you. There's no, no one on the planet has gotten success by themselves. It just doesn't happen. It may seem like they did. You know, it may seem like certain people, oh, the guy's so talented, of course he's successful. No, there's a group of managers or agents or whatever, uh, or there's someone that, that, that either uh, convinced him, promoted him, connected him to somebody else, uh, him or her to somebody else. And that's how, where they got it. And you can't forget those people. Um, so I have a manager now that is busting his ass. I have, uh, agents and, uh, I'm doing everything I can, whether it's the podcast I do or, or YouTube channel. And, and there's a number, there's a number that it doesn't even matter how good it is. There's a number I would get to on YouTube that they would go, let's give him a special. He's got enough audience. Uh, it all comes down to that, but it, you can't do it by yourself. It takes, I always say Hollywood is a, uh, is, is people, how do you succeed in Hollywood? I go, you don't leave. That's number one. Everybody who's left failed. I didn't make it. Well, how do you, how do you know you didn't make it? Well, I didn't, nothing happened. I go, how do you know you left? You know, it doesn't count. So Hollywood to me is always, and I've said people when young comics ask me, how do you make it? And I go, well, Hollywood, imagine Hollywood is a hundred concentric walls. You're out here. You're banging your head against this wall. And when that wall falls, 
the wall inside's a little bit nicer, but you still got to keep banging your head against it. And you got to keep banging your head against it. And then it falls. And then you go to the next one. In the middle uh, is, is you know, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, uh, you know, and, or, or whoever, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds. They're in the center. They're in the center wall. But even though they'll get sent over the wall one day. So you got to keep banging your head and you got to appreciate, really appreciate the people that helped you. You know, Titus would not have gotten done without Brian Hargrove and a Jack Kenny. Mindy Schulteis, I had an executive that in a meeting at Fox, they were, they, before the pilot got approved, they were like, well, it's a little edgy. It's too far for us. This was Fox, by the way. We don't know if we want to do this. And Mindy Schulteis stood up, slammed the script on the table and went, are you out of your mind? Have you read this? This is the funniest thing we have. We don't have a script in the last 10 years. It's funny. And the next thing I know that they approved the pilot. So, and, and I'll never, I'll never, never thank her enough for that. So uh, remember those people that help you. So with Netflix, I'm doing this. I got my manager on it right now. He's going to everybody. I am going to submit the, the, the finished special to them. Again, if that doesn't work, we're moving on to Hulu and HBO. But I am on it. I am on it, and it's happening this year. I've done too many, too long, and it's too damn good. Yeah, well, I could have said all the same things, but I'm glad to hear that you said it instead. Yeah, um, I you're, I was, trying, you're trying to get me to get it done. I get it. <laughs> that's what I do, right? That's what yeah, I want to no, do. I, is I, I want to make sure you believe that you can do it. But if you had said, you know what? It's not for me. It's not a world I want to get into anymore. I'd be like, cool. That's a great reason, right? But if it was a matter of, well, you know, I made these mistakes and blah, it's like, dude, part of your past, right? No, you figure right, it out right. and you design the path. But the fact that you want to do it gets me very excited because you need yeah. one. You and deserve then I get the it. Next one, and then and then uh, Karen Monsters is going to be next. And I, Carlin did fifteen specials. The great news is, by the way, and, uh, two people that I want want to go, pick your hero and what you want. P- figure it out who who is the best of the best. Who you look up to with your passion. Who did it well? Who did it the best? Don't don't say I'm going to do it better than them. Do whatever you do. But Carlin did fifteen albums, fifteen specials, and twenty one albums. I'm at ten right now. Uh, and I am never going to be Carlin. I'm going to be me. But that, when you said earlier, why do you keep putting output? Well, my dad was very blue collar and that's my job. So many comedians for so many years did the same act for a decade, eight years, 10 years, a decade. They just kept doing it and because it worked and, and, and America's big enough where you can tour all these clubs and you, you know, it takes, you know, year after year and it takes two years to get through the whole thing. So you can do, you only doing the show four times, really, if you think about it. And I just said, I'm never going to do that. I want people to be like, oh, damn, he's not doing the one he did last time. What's the new one? And that's what happened. I designed that. After Titus got canceled, I decided I would never, I I would never again get comfortable with where I am. And, and every time that happens, I don't have a, ah, I have a, oh, which is probably not healthy either. But I always, there's always more to do. And there's always the next thing to do. Uh, and, and, and the world keeps getting absurd. Dude, the world is, dude, can you imagine, like, can you, do you remember that? Like we had to deal with what disco and, and then music going from, you know, like, like new wave to, to, to Nirvana like that, like that's what we had. That was our big problem. That was our big cultural shift. Can you imagine what we've gone through in the last eight years? It's insane. It's insane. The swing from black president to the insanity that we've gone through to a once in a hundred year pandemic. That's where that bit about um, in the in the new show about Gen Z and the millennials came from. Like, I can't imagine. Imagine going through this as a kid. 
this is the world? Okay. <laughs> and that was one of the things that I loved about going through your stuff in reverse chronological order is I see your latest special where you're apologizing about the participation trophies. And then I go back and rewatch the bit from give or take 10, 12 years ago about participation trophies. And I'm like, yeah, oh, it was in uh, Nevolution. Yeah. And I'm like, he has no idea what's coming. It was so much <laughs> yeah. fun to watch it with that perspective. Yeah. In the past me is really stupid. <laughs> and well, naive. Isn't that kind of true of all of us though? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, so speaking uh, of the past, I've got one final question. One by the way, very... thank you for focusing me on that. Thank you. I, you know, I never, th- I, I, it's so funny because it, it hasn't happened in the last four or five specials. And it's interesting that you just focused me on. Yeah. I'm getting that. Yeah. You're going to make it happen. No yep. question. Yep. Um, so the last question that I want to ask, because I want to be respectful of your time, which I haven't been because we've been talking flipping forever, but this has been like one of the funnest conversations I've ever I, had. How I hate to talk. You can tell that. Yeah, I, I, I can hate. see that you want to make a living not talking and sharing your <laughs> ideas and your perspectives, right? Um, but I have an exercise. I don't do this with every guest, but I do when I think it's relevant, that I think it's okay. really relevant in this conversation. Okay. So we're going to time travel back in time. And I want you to pick a time where whether it was when you were 12 years old and ran away from home, or you get the phone call that your mother killed herself, whatever that moment is, where you just kind of feel like it's the lowest of the low, right? Probably not the bonfire, but that can be in the conversation. But just kind of pick that moment where you believe in yourself the least, or you don't see the path or whatever it might be. Okay. What's that moment for you right now? It's not the question. I just want to, I want to set it up for the question. What is that moment what that's is coming to your mind? Yeah. Which one are you picking? There's so many. With most people, I know what the moment is. And I say, travel back in time to this moment. With you, you got to pick it. It was, it was, it was the end of the summer after the bonfire incident. It was, it was the end of that summer. And my dad and I had just had a brutal brawl in the kitchen where chairs were flying and we were punching each other. And like a physical, like a horrible, and I, and I thought I'm going to kill him or me. And, and I started to believe that I may be crazy. Like my mom, I remember this, this was, this is the end of that summer. My, the end, end of the summer, my 17th year, I was, I was about to turn 18. I was still 17. I remember it. Yeah. All right. So we're going to time travel back to that moment. Okay. What are you going to tell yourself? And I'm me now. Yep. Huh. Um, why did that just get me? Why did that get me? Um, that really just got me. Uh, I would tell them, I, uh, um, <laughs> it's going to work out. Nothing's that important. It's going to work out. Nothing's that important. You know, um, I've written some of this stuff. Give it one more day. And I wrote it in my, in, in the, in, uh, there's a bit in my, my sister killed herself and I, and, uh, and suicides become a big thing. And, and I would tell that kid, it's just give it one more day every day. I would say that that's good advice for just about anybody in any context. But I think in, in that one, um, I think that's good. And if it makes you feel any better, you're not the only person that I've gotten with that question. <laughs> yeah, so you prick. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not a gotcha question. I never thought it would be, no, but it's, it's just kind of, it's evolved but, into this thing that's really, it's just without even really having to say too much, it just, it gets right to the heart of, of, of you things. You drive people back to a place of their lowest. And, and it's weird because now that we're, it's so... I, what I just got from it, what I got from it was I saw that kid and I felt really sorry for him. And what I did after that was 
<laughs> my dad, my dad came home and he goes, we, we had just, it was, we were, it was bad. It was the lowest point of our relationship ever in my life. And I told, he came home and he went, um, he goes, we're going skiing for the weekend and you're not going. It's one of the things I love more than anything, wakeboarding and, and, and skiing. And it is, he's like, you're not going, you're staying home. And I was like, good. I don't want to go with you anyway. And he's like, what? And, I, and we were about to go again. And my stepmom got between us. And we're like, stop. So they left on that Friday, uh, took the boat up and they left on that Friday. And, uh, I packed everything I had in my bedroom, everything. And I shampooed the carpets and I TSP the walls and I took everything out and I loaded it and I called my aunt and I said, my dad, I said, I'm going to kill him or he's going to kill me. And she said, why don't you come live with me then? And I moved. And when my dad came back that Sunday night, the how it looked like I had never lived there. And, and uh, that's what I did. You know, I've always been good at, you know, because again, I was raised in chaos. So I'm, 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 you, you can't curl up. You can't get in a fetal position because that's how you die. You get up and you go to the next thing. And again, one more day. Well, and I think that's the other interesting thing about what you chose to do for a living. And you even have an entire bit about this. So it's not like I'm, you know, pulling this out of thin air. Right. But you allude to the fact and you're very honest about the fact that the reason I'm not a serial killer is because I'm a comedian. <laughs> True. Right. <laughs> Right. And I think that that's not true just for people that have gone through what you have. I think it's true for a lot of artists. For me, one thing that I haven't even been through a hundredth of the kind of things that you've been through. Like, I'm the guy that you make fun of. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, valedictorian and college graduate is afraid of success and is getting executive coaching. Like, right. So <laughs> we have very, very different experiences. But at the same time, I've been through a lot of things specifically with mental health and depression and like massive anxiety. Yeah. And I realized that what I do here is my therapy, writing a newsletter to my readers or writing a blog post. That's what gets me through all the darkest and I think it's really important for artists to understand that's an outlet. It's, and it's a really important outlet. And you've made a very, very healthy living from essentially your own version of therapy. Yeah, I, 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 people say that. I, I, someone said that to me. They, they, they go, you just do these stories so you don't kill yourself, right? And I started laughing. I said, yeah. I said it one time. I said, you know, it, with my life, I, I could have been and could still ask for any antidepressant I want, and they would prescribe it to me. Instead, I chose to be an antidepressant. And that's that when I wrote that, I remember thinking that it was one of those things that hit me. Like I, that's exactly what I chose to do because I get to get up in front and whether it's writing the Armageddon update with no audience or getting front audience, because I get to spew what I'm thinking. It a sharpens my thinking and B lets this, this outlet go. So I, you know, I because imagine me saying what I've said on those specials, just standing on a corner by myself in ripped clothes, pushing a shopping cart. It's the exact same sentences. One guy's crazy and needs to be picked up. The other guy eh, is talking about maybe getting a Netflix special. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not maybe, not maybe. See, it's all about language. It is. Not I tell maybe. my students that all the time. Don't say, I hope this happens. Say, I am making it happen. Yeah, right. No, it's it's happening. all the difference in the world. I will get. I will. I'm getting an Netflix special in the next year. And by the way, uh, thank you for keeping me clear, people. The word is all we have. Even the Bible. In the beginning, there was the word. The most important thing there is, is what you say and how you say it. Language is the because nothing exists. Nothing in the world has ever existed until we said it. Tree was there, but no one knew what it was till someone said tree. It every word you say create something and it can create something negative or can create something positive. You got to pick the right words. Probably couldn't tie it up any better than that myself. Even <laughs> Thanks, if I tried. Man. 
So on that note, for all of those that don't already know how to find you or follow you, what are the best ways to become a part of your world and your community? Guys, if you want to see, uh, so we put up my whole, the whole Titus series uh, that Zach's talking about, which is very funny, 54 episodes is on at Christopher Titus TV. Uh, because of COVID, I put up all eight of my, well, in the first eight of my comedy specials, also on Christopher Titus TV on YouTube. You can watch them. Plus, we've done sketch shows. There's a whole bunch of content there. We do our podcast, uh, the Armageddon Update, um, Titus podcast, uh, where we pretty much, if you want the news in a way that makes you not want to, you know, stab your eye out, go to that. Also, if you want to get anything uh, on, on my website, DVDs, whatever, go to ChristopherTitus.com for updates on tickets and stuff. And just know I'm always going to be doing a new show, always going to be doing the next thing. Uh, because uh, if you guys show up, I want to make sure that you get the best I got. Well, I will make sure that we link to all that in the show notes. And I thank you very much for your time, for your insights and for your friendship. And I will see you on Sunday, my brother. Yeah, you will. Looking yeah, forward to it. And my hands have healed. <laughs> yes. Well, for now, we'll change that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll tell they're gone on Sunday, but right now, yes. Thanks, buddy boy. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.